Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Waikiki in in Hawaiian means place of spouting water. Waikiki is a world-famous beach. It's about two miles long, studded with palm trees, very fancy, sprawling hotels lining the beach. Many of them are often feel like you're right on the beach or in the water. They're very close to the beach. And on the other side is a very upscale shopping district. Luxury designer Prada and Gucci and shopping malls and restaurants. And it attracts about 4 million people a year from all over the world. You get amazing sunsets in in Waikiki. The views are spectacular. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. And sounds pretty nice, right? Sitting by the pool. Sunset. Looking over the ocean. Cocktail. Mai Tais. Beach. Sand. The problem is that the beaches are starting to erode away. I lived in Honolulu for, for five years. And I thought a lot about how this island state is vulnerable. That's Melanie Warner, who has a new piece out in Politico magazine. And I just really never heard very much about what the hotels were going to do, how the hotels were thinking, and what the city and state leaders were thinking. Today on the show, as sea levels rise, how do you keep an island from sinking? The plans city and state leaders are starting to form in Hawaii. All of these problems that are coming because water is going into places that you don't want it to go. I mean, you have this extremely valuable beachfront area that's used by tourists. Millions of tourists a year come there for the beach. Even hotels that aren't directly on the beach, they all market, oh, steps from the beach, world-famous Waikiki Beach, view of the beach. So the whole economy of, of Waikiki revolves around the beach. And that's threatened by the rising ocean levels. Mm -hmm. As we've seen in a lot of other areas um, across the United States and on the coast, there's been these beach replenishment efforts that are that are ongoing to try and basically save the beach and put more sand on the beach so you can essentially hold back the ocean uh, for a period of time. And, And these things have to you have to keep doing them. You have to, in Waikiki, it's estimated you have to do it about every five to 10 years. So these are just kind of temporary stopgap measures to try and hold back the water. But even people that are involved in doing them in Waikiki acknowledge that they're not going to last forever. We can only do this for so long. Right Now, Waikiki has additional problems that a lot of coastal areas don't have because it's geology is a a porous limestone. So that basically allows water to come up from not just from the ocean and from the shoreline, but underground, which is a whole different set of problems. Um, And then on top of that, they have water coming from the other side. They're basically hemmed in by water, ocean on one side and a canal on the other. And they're also vulnerable to water coming down from the mountains like it used to in the old days. Mm. And if you get these huge rainstorms, the threat is that comes down into Waikiki, goes into the canal and floods the whole area from the other side, never mind what's going to happen on the ocean. So this sounds sort of glib, but as sea levels rise, 
how does one keep an island from sinking? I think the the moral of the story is that you have to be both really creative in your approaches and you have to be willing to make difficult political decisions too as as a leader in Waikiki it's both the city and the state and they have mm-hmm. to be willing to solicit a lot of input from a lot of different people a lot of different stakeholders but at the end of the day they're going to be people that are that are disappointed and pissed off and don't like the decisions you know not everyone is going to be happy these are not easy problems to solve well in terms of the creativity you're talking about in your story you outlined some pretty dramatic proposals for adapting Waikiki like elevating buildings and creating Venice style canals which is wild it is, I know. But when you have so much water coming at you, you realize that you have to be able to think in those long-term dramatic scenarios. So yes, a couple different people have proposed the idea of canals where you would take out certain streets, basically connecting the two areas of water, the canal on one side and the ocean on the other. Mm. And let's take out the cement, the roads, and obviously everything that's underneath it, which is all the public utilities. It's a huge operation, right? It's no small thing. And let's let the water flow. So basically, how do we work with the water? Instead of trying to hold it back, let's make the landscape adaptable to flooding, to constant flooding. Mm -hmm. And then people have talked also about... um, turning a lot a lot of the area into wetlands in addition to figuring out how do we elevate buildings too and and which is a whole separate separate problem because it's a lot easier to do when you build a new building but mm-hmm. what do you do with all of these existing buildings whether it's a hotel or a high-rise residential condo tower yeah i mean the most famous city with canals is Venice, which is also kind of the poster child for a city that climate scientists say is going to be underwater. So to your point, yeah. it's, it feels like a lot of these are temporary solutions. I mean, and mm-hmm. and what are the, the stakes here? You know, how apocalyptic are we talking? How fast a timeline is, is Waikiki looking at? The projections are for roughly three feet of sea level rise sometime between 2050 and the turn of the century. A lot of people seem to think it's going to unfortunately come closer to to 2050. The whole area is not underwater. You could still adapt, but it's flooding on a regular basis. Then when you look at the next level of six feet of sea level rise, that's a far more dramatic scenario. And in all likelihood, that won't happen until at least 2100. Um, And that's when Waikiki is permanently underwater. And in an ideal world, you could still have tourists coming, but they're coming for very different reasons and they're doing very different things. They're not sitting on the beach. Yeah, I mean, climate change, as we know, is an existential threat, but tourism is the engine that powers the Hawaiian economy. So the change to tourism feels like also, the potential for change to tourism feels like another existential threat for Hawaii. Yeah, exactly. And and leaders in Hawaii have have known this for years that they're too dependent on on tourism and they've been mm-hmm. trying to move away from it. Um obviously they still want tourists to come and it's going to be a vibrant part of their economy, but there's always the intention to like let's diversify the Hawaiian economy, but it's really hard to do and no one's no one's really ever pulled it off and it's just never happened. 
Hawaii is basically as blue as a state gets politically. And you write that basically nobody there is denying that climate change exists, unlike many other states that are affected by climate change. But even if there's this wide array of political agreement about the problem, there's not really any agreement about any of the solutions, right? Exactly. Hawaii is an extremely blue state. The The number of Republicans in the state legislature is, is like, f- there's like five, four or five. They're like an endangered species in, in Hawaii. <laughs> but it doesn't, just being all one party in a, in a state and all, all Democratic, doesn't really make it easier to actually spring into action and do the really, really hard things, which is to disrupt the way you've done city planning and disrupt the way you've done building Mm -hmm. and talk about asking residents how they feel about potentially leaving the apartment that they've owned for for 20 years. Um, You know, none of that is easy. And I think that there's just a like a level of um, inertia that sets in because you don't have to do any of it in this particular year. Like if you don't do it in the next 12 months, the sky's not going to fall you know, probably this, you're not going to even notice the sea level rise. But I think people are realizing that now is the time to really get get moving. And um, I think they see other cities taking positive steps and doing things like a number of the people I talked to have visited Miami a few times. There's um, kind of similar geology in Miami. So there's similar Mm -hmm. problems. They're still at the early stages, but people in Hawaii and Waikiki in particular are saying, okay, let's actually stop writing reports and take action. You just mentioned Miami. Are there any cities that actually have kind of a template or can provide a precedent for making some of these extremely dramatic changes? It is very new. I think the city that is maybe the most the farthest along, Miami is one, but then also Boston. They've done a really good job mm-hmm. of mapping out um, what they want to do. And you can go online and look at all these interesting ideas they have for all the areas of their harbor. They've only started a few of the projects. But you're right that Waikiki is somewhat unique because unlike Boston or even New York, you can't just talk about like armoring the coastlines, you know, building like berms, mm-hmm. whether they're natural or seawalls to kind of keep the water out like you mm-hmm. can envision doing in those two cities, in part because you've got this porous geology. So even if you armor the shoreline, it's going to come up through the groundwater and then, you know, you haven't really solved any problem. And also because in Waikiki, you still have a beach that you want to protect because of all the tourists and the hotels that that benefit from that. So you've just got arguably an even more complicated situation um, than you do in places like Boston and New York. So what are the outcomes? Where does this go from here, do you think? I think that the Senator Milwaukee, who's who the state senator who's heading this effort, if she gets her bill passed, I think that she and people at the state level, in the state planning office, with city leaders and officials on the city council and all these different city departments will come together along with, I think, a few people from the, from the community, like Waikiki Community Board, um, some of the people who represent the surfing community, which is really important in Hawaii, and one of them I talked to in my piece, yeah. um, they will be involved in an effort to say, okay, let's sit down. I mean, it's not an easy process, even just coming up with a plan, because there's so many different interests, all right, yeah. and so many different ways of that everyone has had of doing things, and 
The status quo is really hard to change. But everyone seems committed to doing that, or so they say at this point. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Melanie Warner, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you so much. Also today, President Biden's signature legislation, the child tax credit, ended in December the victim of a legislative expiration date and a Democratic Party deadlocked over Biden's Build Back Better bill. Lawmakers are currently scrambling to try to find a way to extend the expanded child tax credit, but there's no indication that an agreement is coming soon, if at all. And a group of eight senators is working on a bill to bolster President Biden's hand in the standoff with Russia. Text of the legislation is not yet final, and it's unclear whether the White House will ultimately support the bill, but it's noteworthy because of the bipartisan legislators attached to it. There are four Republicans and four Democrats, which would signal that any final bill would likely survive or avoid a filibuster. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Dispatch's senior editor is Raghu Manavalan, and our senior producer is Jenny Amond. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. 